Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 129 of the Apolog Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Head. I want to let you all know that I am doing a ride to conquer cancer. It is a 200-kilometer bike race, and it is taking place in June. And what I'd like you to do is help me out by supporting me and my ride to conquer cancer. You can go to apolog.ca and click on the ride to conquer cancer banner. It's on the top right side. Tell a friend, um, put a, you know, put a group together, help me out with my, uh, with my plight. If you, if you pledge anything, I will give you my discography from Foursquare. That will be my present to you, which is, uh, it's got a value of about 20 bucks, but there's about 70 songs in there. So that, that is a standing offer. So if you do that, you'll get a free download of the Apple, of my band's Foursquare's discography. This episode is brought to you in part today by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash Apolog to get a free, do, uh, free audio download and a 30-day free trial. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your mobile device. So go to audibletrial.com slash Apolog today. want to let you know that I have an affiliate program through Amazon. If you're from Canada, go to www.appalog.ca slash Amazon, and you will be magically whisked, redirected to Amazon. It will cost you no extra money, um, and you will be supporting the show. If you're from the United States or from the UK, go to appalog.ca and click on the Amazon banner on the right side. Locate your country, USA or UK or Canada. Bookmark those linked banners, and every time you shop on Amazon, use those links to shop and support the show. Cost you no extra money. If you're interested in supporting the show on a monthly basis, go to patreon.com slash Pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees. Cancel at any time. This episode is also brought to you by Insight Recorders. Go to Insight Recorders slash 3D Prints and check out the new store. Uh, there's 3D printing stuff. I'm, it's a, just a little pilot project right now to see if people are interested in 3D printing objects, printed objects. Insight Recorders is also a recording studio um, where you can have online mixing done. Send your recorded album and it will be mixed and mastered to add a professional touch to your recording. There's so many other other things there at Insight Recorders. Go there, check it out for rates. It's actually an actual recording studio. You can book time and record there, and if you're in the Ontario region, booking now. Go to insightrecorders.com slash contact for more details. Go to appalog.ca slash shop to buy a t-shirt, buy a Foursquare discography, which I mentioned before, for $20. Don't forget to rate and review the show and subscribe on iTunes. Give it five stars, please. Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666 and like the show on facebook.com slash Pod. That is it. Today on the show, I have Debbie Levitt. Debbie runs a website called friends.com. The friends are spelled F-R-E-N-Z.com. What it is is a Neil Finn Crowded House fan site. She's been maintaining the site since the 90s. What I also found out about Debbie is that she deals with user experience, or UX for short. And what that is essentially is when you've developed an app, Debbie can be hired to come and make sure that the app is easy to use. Not just for her, but for everybody, for people with disabilities, 
that was kind of a neat conversation we had because it had nothing to do with music. And she kind of felt like, oh, maybe we should be talking more about music. But she used to tour manage. She never actually told me what band she tour managed back in the, in the, in the olden days. But we talked more about computer stuff. And so that's this episode is dealing mostly about computer stuff because that's the other part of my life is I like to do computer stuff. So here she is, Debbie Levitt on the Apolog Podcast. Enjoy. I've been following your website because I'm a fan of Neil Finn and of Crowded House of, of that time since since the mid-80s. But still, there was one common thread to my teenage life, and that was Crowded House. And uh, and that's what got me to your website. And that's what got me to contacting you because the, you've been doing this website for how long now? Like, Yeah, you're right. I started in uh, 1996, I believe it was. So um, now, in some, there are some parts of the website that still look like 1996. So I have to, you know, hold my hands up and say, "Yep, some of it is uh, has not received the love it deserves as a as a passion project." But uh, yeah, I started in 1996. So. You obviously knew obviously something about HTML because there was there was you know it's so easy now to make websites and to do things like this that twenty years ago you it was baby baby internet you know so what what got you into you know really what got you into the into the web design yeah so actually I got into web design in 1995 after working in the music business in New York City. And um, a friend from college who was like Mr. Macintosh guru at the time, he, he was like, hey, Deb, you got to see this new thing. It's called the web. And um, hey, you can learn how to make these pages on the web. And this was um, mid-1995. And I was like, hmm, chin stroking. Mm-hmm. I bet people would pay people who know how to make these things. And I uh, pulled an all-nighter for about a week, um, which is tough because I'm allergic to caffeine and uh, and I don't do drugs. And I taught myself HTML and I started a company, uh, which at the time was called As Was. And I opened up a web design shop. And, um, and then it, it was in 1996 that I think I approached the official uh, fan club, the Friends of the Ends, and basically said, gee, you know, I don't think you guys have much of a web presence and this is something I can do and I'm a super fan or at least some sort of medium-sized fan and uh, I don't want to charge for this I just want to do it as a labor of love so um, you know it may not be my main gig I can't always give you top billing and not top billing but like top priority sometimes I'll have other things to work on but hey how about I do this and they were kind of like well we're going to check you out a little bit. And they, they did whatever checking you could do in 1996. They asked around, does anyone know this chick? Anybody and, got a computer? <laughs> yeah, I think a few people had, you know, uh, a fax machine or something, and they could <laughs> learn a little bit about me. And um, they gave it the thumbs up. And, and that's when I started doing the site. So, it was, so yes, I, I knew HTML back in the old school days, mm. making tables instead of writing in CSS. I, uh, I, decided 
about four years ago, I said, I need to know how this internet works. I'm going to go from the very basics. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to try and reinvent anything, but I also want to know how this stuff works. And I lit, I went right from the very beginning on how to make this is what this is, and this is a tag, and this is what this does. And I did that for a few months, and I kind of thought I had it figured out. And then I went, oh, there's this thing called WordPress, and it does everything for you. And I don't need to worry about, <laughs> you know, it not being compatible with the screen sizes and, and you know, and this whole Web 2.0 stuff. I was sort of like, I came in knowing, not knowing anything about, you know, you know, responsive designs. Actually, I came into it around the time where it was like, uh, well, you have to make your mobile site and then you have to make your regular site. And and now over the past five years, it's like, it's just dumb easy. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of WordPress. And it's funny because I went to Peter Green, the guy who runs the fan club. I went to him some years ago. And really the main active part of the friends.com website is really Peter's diary. Um, you know, I don't invest any time in any of the other sections or pages. So I know they look very outdated, but I do keep Peter's diary updated. Roughly every two weeks, he emails me his life and times and a photo. And I hand HTML it and I put it up. And uh, I went to him some years ago and I was like, hey, we should probably just take your diary, you know, out of the friend's site and maybe give it its own subdomain or something and build it into WordPress. And then you could update it yourself. You could load up pictures and sound files and like it would be a really cool modern thing. And he was kind of like, no, I like sending you the files. And I was like, <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, it, it's an honor to work with uh Peter Green in the fan club, so I can't be like, no, this is how it's going to go. Yeah, but um, there's part of me that thinks someday I've got to redo almost everything friends.com has been and get it into WordPress. And I used to try to ask some of the fans to help me with that. Like, hey, I'm just a chick and I've got, you know, 9,000 day jobs and all kinds of things going on in my life. Can anyone help me? And there's always a few people who would say yes and then kind of not follow through. And yeah. so the, the site's, you know, a little outdated. Well, to completely rebuild a website, it's it's not fun. You know, I've had, when I started the podcast, I had free hosting, uh, like some hosting or free domain. It was like a subdomain, so it was free. But what I didn't realize is that there was a certain amount of bandwidth allowed. And after a hundred viewers, it would go dead. And, oh great! Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I had a guy, Chris Hanna from this band Propagandi, like this sort of pretty popular punk rock guy, and it crashed my site. And then hosting got touching me and said, um, "We can't let you back on our site anymore. This is this is bad." You know, I said, "Please just give me one day, and I'll get everything off." And you know, and they did. And I went and went and bought a domain, proper domain, <laughs> and did it because that was my big jump into you know professional, um, you know word pressing and stuff like that but there's so many easier ways even even two years ago it was hard to actually just take a website and clone it and put it over to a new domain it was hard now it's 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 dumb easy like well i don't want to say dumb easy it's there's been a learning curve to it but um i know i'm i'm kind of because i've used uh friends vens as a sort of a um I guess a point, a reference point to like checking in to see what's going on, like who's doing this. And usually on a Google search that comes up before, usually before Neil Finn's site or before Crowded House sites, it's, it just sort of pops up there a little higher. And, uh, you know. and I'm certainly not 
working on the SEO. So that, that's just kind of Google naturally going, hey, this seems to be a, a quality site. People are linking to it. They're yeah. visiting it. Um, it's uh, It seems to be a good source of information. And so I think I'm just accidentally doing all the things right that Google looks for when it's ranking. Mm-hmm. But that that's certainly not something I'm doing on purpose. And uh, so that, that's been fantastic. And like I said, luckily, Peter Green will send me different updates, like Neil's tour page we do keep updated. So as Neil or Crowded House schedule dates, we do keep that updated. And there's a couple of other spots that, that do get love. Um, but I think the fans who, um, who really want more of the day-to-day activity would hang out on the discussion forum. Uh, do you uh, participate or lurk on the discussion forum? I've lurked. I've lurked a bit. I haven't, I haven't added into it, but I've usually I've lurked a bit, you know, and I always get, I get afraid of forums now and forums are just such a taboo thing now where as soon as you put your stuff in there, it's like all of a sudden it becomes, I don't know, like, a few guest books in, in like forum pages just shut down on sites over the past 10 years that they just, they don't can't, they can't deal with the spam, you know, or they can't deal with the, uh, how do you deal with that stuff? Well, I pay for it. So, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm paying one of the best companies on the planet for the software and the web space. And, uh, and that's not money I make back. So that's part of my uh, labor of love is that I do invest actual green, uh, you know, American green money into <laughs> the, the site. And um, we used to hold annual auctions to help offset that cost. And then the, the auction was so time consuming that I was just like, ah, you know what, this is my... Uh, this yeah. is my donation to the world. And so we're using, God, the company has changed its name so many times. I'm trying to remember what they're called now. I think they're called Hoopla, um, H-O-O-P dot L-A, something like that. Mm-hmm. We're using, Hoop. it was Infopop, it was Social Strata. They keep changing their name. Um, we're using Hoopla, costs me about $100 a month. And that way I don't have like, bandwidth problems, I don't have limitations, and they're always updating the system so that there's always cool new features for the people on the discussion forum to encounter. And then we, uh, when I created that in 1998, we also created a pretty concrete set of rules for appropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud to say that we have thousands of registered members and all but a small bucketful have uh, not only upheld those rules, but in some cases helped police some of the offenders. Um, so we uh, we run a friendly ship and uh, we even get minors sometimes. We get children who's like, my dad listens to Neil Finn. I want to talk about him. Mm-hmm. And then I have to go... Okay, this form is rated G, so that we can make sure we don't offend the kids. That's unbelievable. I just, I, I'm sorry, I was surprised by the actual monthly cost because it's like, what, one hundred dollars? Like, and you've been doing it all these years. It's, I mean, I that just, it, yeah, that's just insane. Like, um, well, hopefully I'm not insane. No, uh, hopefully no. people would say, hey, you know, Deb loves the fans and Deb loves the community and. Yeah. Deb hasn't kept the website updated as well. She should. That's only like the fifth time I've said that. So Mm. I've got pangs of guilt. So Deb will keep the forum running. Because when a lot of this start, when I got, I guess I got involved in some of this stuff online in like 
93 or 94 and there were other people who were trying to create web pages there were other people who were trying to create like mailing lists and i felt like i was just watching everybody use the freest cheapest stuff they could and especially as a at the time a website designer and now a ux strategist and designer i just can't bring myself to give people the worst thing i can find because it was free so i would rather give people a good experience a, a mobile friendly site or a responsive site um mm -hmm. something that they can enjoy using otherwise what's the point mm -hmm. oh yeah that bit me on the butt man holy crap that bit me but i I, like, I didn't know. And, and the fact is, when you do a podcast, it's the same thing. It's a labor of love. You do it because you want to meet new people and, and, and discuss things that are important to you and to other people, or maybe to yourself, it doesn't matter. It's a podcast, you know, and that also isn't free. But I, I have like a Patreon campaign and I have a I have a, a, an, an Amazon affiliate program. I don't know where you sit politically with that sort of stuff. But, but I mean, it does help and it does offset the cost of doing this you know i drive well i live outside of toronto but i drive an hour and a half into toronto to do interviews and things like that and nobody ever comes to me i'm way too far away so that's my uh i mean my contribution is i'll give you the content but i can't you know what i mean like i've been playing in bands my whole life like i've lost money nobody loses money like me you know <laughs> <laughs> You've got it down to a science. Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. You find something a hole and I'll throw some money in there and then it'll and it'll never come back and maybe somebody'll light fire to it, you know. But that's my uh my thing is with music is that there's always been some sort of sacrifice, you know, and you know, so I I understand, you know, so I, I part of me thinks, well, why am I worried about, like why did I why was I surprised that someone would pay $100 a month for a forum, you know, like you're doing it for love and that's that's important stuff. And we do have a little button where we can accept donations, but I probably get a hundred dollars a year. You know, it, it's I've made it super optional. I mean, I promised myself when I built this forum, I was not going to fill it with ads. I was not going to um, kind of barricade people off if they didn't pay for it. Mm -hmm. um, I was not going to take a cut of things people put in our classified section. There's so many ways that people can monetize a discussion forum. And I just never wanted, you know, just like people talk about now, they complain, oh, Facebook, you know, it's mm -hmm. free, but I'm for sale. Yeah. My information is for sale and all this stuff. I just never wanted the forum people to feel like they were for sale. And, um, and I never wanted them to feel like, X amount of dollars was worth compromising their information or privacy or um, stuff like that. So it's just a decision that I made. But I like to joke that, you know, these are some of the things you can do when you've decided to not have children. You know, you can invest <laughs> in, a, in a fan website because nobody in the house needs braces. Or, yeah. uh, so just, just a decision I've made. But, uh, you know, I've watched so many other fan sites Crowded House and non make the decision to just get as much free hosting and free mailing lists and free stuff as possible. And um, I think we're still on a free mailing list, but I, I even have guilt about that. <laughs> I actually noticed that you don't, because there is the, you know, the I'm not a robot thing when you fill out your contact. And that usually, you do the one extra step where it actually comes to you to be actually... Um, how did it go? Like when you, what do you mean when you sign up for the forum, or when you contact. Say if I when I when I went to contact you, there was like I'm going to get this email, but it's not going to 
you it's you know there's a there's a little extra step there along the way oh yeah that was yeah i had to install that many years ago because when i had my company as was what happened was because i had that since 1995 i just ended up in every spammers database because mm-hmm. i have the same email address for like decades and so i used to get what appeared to be like a thousand spams a day and so i set up this company um spamarrest.com and it's it's paid and what they do is if an address you've emailed before um writes to you it lets it through and if an address that's never emailed you before writes to you they write back and go hey i just want to make sure we're really human and so on and, and they make you kind of approve yourself and then sometimes a spammer will do that and it gets through but luckily someone like you takes the time to read it and go oh okay she's just trying to keep herself from spam i'll take a minute and do that extra step so my note will get through yeah yeah thank you yeah (laughs) so you you you're you're from america you're yes i know (laughs) i all your whole life (laughs) um so you're out in new york and and so as a uh not anymore no you were though yeah I was in New York. That That is also true. Uh, I am currently outside of San Francisco, California. Um, I spent many years in Tucson, Arizona, and kind of hope to go back there. Oh, yeah. It's dry. It's a dry heat. I love the dry heat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Can you put, like, a lot of reverb on that? I love the dry <laughs> heat. Make it really dramatic. Um, but, I mean, San Francisco is also a good pile of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And it is the best place for my current career. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm currently, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I am in San Francisco. Yeah. What are you doing there? Uh, I do, um, I might have to explain this one, but I do UX strategy and design. Ta-da! <laughs> Dramatic pause. Uh, as a cricket keeper crickets there. Cricket, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cricket. Um, UX. Basically, yeah. UX stands for user experience, and it is the more science than art of making websites, apps, and other things user-friendly. So think of me as the building architect. I'm not an artist and I'm not a programmer, Mm -hmm. but I am the person who says, okay, it should lay out like this. The button goes over here. The menuing works like this. Mm -hmm. And when people move through it, these are the steps. And this is how we tell them they've made a mistake. And this is how we keep them from making a mistake. And so it's all about um, making stuff user-friendly. That's right. Well, I mean, I can agree with you. Like, I, I don't know how easy or hard it is to get on this thing that I'm using, but uh, I definitely like it better than Skype. You know, if you're not... Yeah, a- Skype is... I haven't tried this one that you've got, but Skype is um, definitely wacky. Um, I've been using Join.me um, when I do corporate training and I go live remote with people and do some corporate training. I also mm-hmm. do corporate training. Um, but... Um, Oh man, I forgot what we were saying, but now I'm just daydreaming. Skyping. Daydreaming of daydreaming of corporate training. Uh, <laughs> hear me. Uh, but anyway, oh, I was saying UX. So yeah. yeah, a lot of people haven't heard of UX, but believe me, they're thinking about it when they are using an app and they are angry, or they're trying to pay a bill online and the system is difficult, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or any of these things. And that's when I always say uh, job security. Yeah. Uh, well, the. To be able to, you're almost debugging it before there's a reason for it to have a bug. You know, you're, you can see I'm, how it I'm flows. steps even before that. Yeah, yeah, I'm steps before that. But you're right. It, it's, it's, uh, UX is a, a, an industry and a career that takes a lot of empathy because I have to say, okay, our target audience is a, um, 
very fashionable shopper with lots of money to spend and here's how we're going to appeal to her and then i have to be good at imagining i'm her and imagining i've got a baby on one hip mm -hmm. and an ipad mini in the other hand and how am i going to shop this website and uh even though i have no babies in my hand and i don't have an ipad mini and uh and so it's um it's all about even before it gets built before an artist designs it before it's released to someone like you how can i kind of think ahead and use empathy to figure out what you are likely to enjoy using and find easy to use, easy to learn and uh, be delighted. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's a neat, because you work for yourself sounds like it too, right? So you're self-supporting. I, I work for myself under a new company name and I also have kind of regular day job right now. And, um, and I was out by you recently doing corporate training for the lovely people at CBC Montreal. Oh, no way. Okay, cool. Yes way. Yeah. That's uh. so you, tr you travel around, then you still manage to, um, so to, to corporate training for what would it be though for strategy? Yeah, I right? actually I specialize now. We're now people are really sleeping. They're like, "This is a music podcast. You're killing me." <laughs> Don't worry um, about it. Anyway. It's yeah, my podcast. I'm in, I'm amazed. I'm 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 enthralled. Can Screw I those ask people. Music question. Uh, no. So uh, so UX. There's actually pieces of software we use just in UX for the things that we're looking to do. And I've become an expert on one of the pieces of software which is called Axure, like action. It's A X U R E. And um, it's a little bit niche. Um, there's maybe just a few hundred thousand people on the planet using it. But what it allows us to do is when I'm coming up with these designs, I can really quickly create interactive clickable prototypes um, without knowing a line of code. And that way I can work with a design or I can test it on somebody and the programmer has not spent a minute on it. So in the long run, it saves companies a lot of time and money. But the software is pretty complicated and some people struggle to learn it. And so I've always done corporate training of one thing or another in my life. And once I became really good at Axure, I started teaching people Axure. And then in, nine, not 19, I'm so talking to you about 19, 2014, Axure listed me on their website as one of their recommended trainers. And that allows cool, fun, exciting uh, business to roll in like uh, CBC Montreal. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Everything is, I mean, honestly, things are kind of getting easier now. Like I just noticed a, a thing for JavaScript where it's a studio and you just type in what you kind of want it to do and, and it'll do it. You know, JavaScript is kind of like the backbone to all the website stuff now where everything kind of moves around with it. And then, and, and it's like, it intertwines with, you know, the website. But there's this whole studio suite you can get and you just type in what you want it to do and it'll do it for you. And then it'll even give you like a, a demo of it. Whereas before to learn JavaScript, it was like, nah, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, you had to really learn the language. So there are definitely more tools for that. And Axure competes against some of them. But I, I mean, I have a degree in music. I was pre-med, so I'm not a programmer. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I don't mind thinking like a programmer since I'm a math and science head, but I, I don't want to do programming. And, and also my, my typical trainee is an art school artist. And this is someone who's never had to do programming, never had to think like a programmer. And when they get into action and they have to think, okay, when people click, this thing pops up and this thing moves over here and they actually get very upset and nervous about it. So mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm just comforting therapist and, <laughs> and just trying to help the art school artists wrap their head around thinking like a programmer. Cause it comes naturally to some of them and mm -hmm. others, are just 
a little bit more whatever side of the brain you want to say that is and they're a little bit more artsy and they're like what i have to think about these these like this order of operations yeah yeah for for me i i like the fascinating thing about web design or doing things with websites is that you can kind of fantasize what you want it to do it's how you're going to get from point a to point b is the tricky part and you don't want yeah so bless you and you don't want to you don't want to overcomplicate things like I don't know, like how you came on just onto this chat thing. I, I tried. You could have just gone right to the appear.in slash whatever this, the the domain was, the room name was. But to be able to sort of describe how to use it, it has to be used by all different types of people, you know. So yeah, exactly, and and that's part of what UX is about. Because for example, if you're really good with UX, then you're saying, okay, we're building this shopping app. How does someone who's visually impaired use it? Hmm. How does someone who doesn't have the best motor skills, maybe they have Parkinson's, maybe they had an injury, how does that person use it? Um, I worked in an American bank a few years ago as my day job, and they actually hired a legally blind person to test things we were designing. And transfer money in his accounts, and he couldn't hear what his balances were, and he couldn't pay his bills. It didn't fly, and we didn't build it. Mm-hmm. And so... Luckily, some companies in America are starting to care a little bit more about that. It's still not as widespread as it should be. We call it accessibility. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it goes beyond like, oh, I think this dude in Toronto wants to use this thing. In some cases, we're saying, hey, what if this person is blind or almost blind? How mm-hmm. are they going to do their online shopping? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's everything is happening, too, with today's society where the accessibility is a big thing. I was at the a theater venue uh, front door, and on the door was said the whole placard said, "This is how we deal with accessibility issues." And I mean, that's a huge thing now, and that's that's kind of neat where you'd have to think, you know, like that because they're people. They're pe- yeah. yeah, and and there, and and that covers a range of issues as well. It's like, well, do they see? Maybe they don't see color contrast very well, so mm-hmm. you have to stay away from the apple pitfall of using lots of soft grays <laughs> because maybe that's too subtle for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very impressed when I came to Canada and I found your TV channel called AMI. Mm-hmm. Do you know this? I think so. It's- oh my god! Yeah. I just wanted to cry, <laughs> fall in love, and. <laughs> You know, because we're, again, we're not that good at that over here. And so for people who are listening who may be uh, non-Canadian, there's this channel called AMI, and everything they do is for blind and visually impaired people. So they do what they call described video. And that means you could be watching an episode of uh, a rerun of a show, and whenever characters look at each other suspiciously, some voiceover chick or guy comes in and goes, so-and-so looks at him suspiciously and Mm -hmm. then walks out of the room. Yeah. And they fill in the, the bits with w- what the, the visually impaired people can't see. Mm-hmm. And again, as a, as a UX person who's also looking for UX in real life, I was just so touched that there's an entire channel devoted to this and made me feel like our country is so far behind in taking care of, of people with accessibility issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, every, uh, like CBC in particular has uh, um, for... Yeah, every channel has the the describe video channel. But accidentally, my DVR got stuck on that, and we were watching like soap operas. And we have a show up here called Coronation Street, and it's a British soap right. opera. And we're watching it, and it describes the whole thing. And we're like, "This is great! This is awesome! I can look around, I can text, and I don't, you know, because it's been on for." 
50 years or something. Right. So it was like accidentally the PBR just kept recording the Describe Video show. And it was actually pretty fun, you know, for a while. <laughs> but Yeah, uh, eventually that might be a bit, uh, it, it probably could be a sensory overload for someone like you who has other senses to take in information. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. for someone who uh, doesn't uh, have the best use of his or her eyes, I can just see how that, I would just watch that channel all day. Yeah, yeah. And they even had they even had original programming. They had a cooking show for blind people. I mean, it was just like, oh, America, we're so far behind. Yeah. Well, I don't want to talk American politics right now because uh, I will not talk about I that. Want... I don't want to. I don't want to make any enemies, and mm. I want. I want everyone to be my pal. So yeah. Let's. I just want to say, from an accessibility and UX <laughs> standpoint, America doesn't always do the best job yeah. looking out for. People with vision, hearing, mobility, mm-hmm. and other issues. Yeah. There was a funny story. Like, t- I used to tour all over North America, in particular in the United States. And when the Americans saw Canadians, because we have a Canadian content rule where we have to have a certain amount of music and art that needs to come from Canada. Um, as, a, as a digression, that's a sort of a, we don't really need it. We're okay now. But uh, we have Justin Bieber. Thank you very much. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but... But they would always, Americans would always say, yeah, you're a bunch of communists with your health care and your socialism. And it's like, you know, but now finally, finally we have like, we can laugh at your politics. It's, it's, it's a, you know, because you had eight years of awesomeness. Like, come on. You know? <laughs> well, look, again, I, uh, at the risk of alienating everyone, I'll just say I live outside of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You're welcome to take a guess of which side of issues I'm on <laughs> and you, you might be correct. Yeah. And uh, San Francisco is a happy, friendly place. Yes. People should check it out. It's a beautiful um, city. Beautiful city. It's, it's not for everyone. Um, I remember I had to explain many years ago, I had a born again Christian client who was asking me for a web design and he'd seen a web design we had done for um, a gay guy who owned a record store and he had had us put like all these rainbows in. And my born-again Christian client was like, I saw that record store thing you did, and I really thought those rainbows were lovely. And he he didn't know. And I had to take him aside one day on the phone. I was like, Mel, do do you know that the rainbow is the symbol of the gay community? And he was like, oh, no, I I didn't know that. And he's like, maybe I don't want the rainbows. <laughs> it's okay, Mel. We can we can be honest with each other. I'm trying to just warn you. Yeah, here, so. yeah. You could have the yeah. You'd have the the you know the yeah, everybody who did know. But that's a funny thing because he's a true Christian and because he doesn't judge. He's not judging. You know, getting all judgy. You know, like. <laughs> well, I, I, he probably had some judgment in his head, but I think it's more that he was so small town America. Yeah. He's, he was pretty small town America, and so somehow he did not know that the rainbow was a That's quite strong symbol. And and I had a son on the phone at one point, and I was like, um, Cole, does your dad know about gay people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, has your dad heard of gay people? Only that Cole? they're going to hell. <laughs> but yeah, they weren't Southern. I think oh, okay. they were like, yeah. one of those states people forget exist, like, Iowa or Idaho and some of there's someone listening who's like stop confusing us and I'm like I'm sorry I don't know the difference between Iowa and Idaho you can put me in that bucket of 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 people but anyway he was a lovely guy great client but he was one of those guys that were like once in a while a born again client will say to me like gee I heard San Francisco's nice to visit and I'll Mm. say well look 
I know you're a born again Christian. Are you going to be comfortable watching two men holding hands, walking down the street and kissing? And he'll be like, well, isn't that just in some little neighborhood I can stay away from? And I was like, no, actually not. It's everywhere. And our financial district is flying rainbow flags. Like, you know, there's, you know, no, it's going to be everywhere. Oh, Mm. maybe I shouldn't visit. (laughs) You have Fisherman's Wharf. You have uh, Alcatraz. All our tourist trappy things. Yeah. Fisherman's Wharf. You know, you've got a $30 plate of sushi. (laughs) I um I have a funny San Francisco Cisco story. I um I used to travel there with no money within a band in a van, and we would go down Haight and Ashbury and Haight District, and the people would just put free food on the sidewalk for people. I don't know if they still do that, but they put like loaves of bread and like sandwich meats and things, and it would just be on. Am I like, allowed to ask you what year this is? This is 1992. Okay. Yeah. It was free food. Yeah, I've only been here a few years. Every time I've gone to Hate Ashbury, I have not seen that. And I, because I'll have friends or colleagues who will visit and they always say, Oh, take me to Hate Ashbury. Mm. Oh, the, the hippies and the love and the whatever. And I go, No, 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 you don't understand. It doesn't look like that anymore. Mm. It only looks like that in your head and in movies. And I go, No, take me there. And mm-hmm. I take them there. And it's like, honestly, it's just a bunch of homeless teenagers with dogs. Yeah. And it's incredibly depressing because like the average age of the homeless person is probably 17 yeah. and these people look not okay. And usually the person I bring there is like, Oh God, why'd you bring me here? This is incredibly depressing. <laughs> it's like our Vancouver Our Vancouver has a pretty nice area, but because the climate is so, you know, desirable, there's a lot of homeless folk there <clears throat> and it's a real tough thing to, uh, to deal with because you'd be in the tourist part and the same thing with dogs dogs it's dogs supposed to be the way to get more money i think that's the that's the the angle you know i assume it's just personal companionship and protection i didn't even think it was more like the, money. the maybe i don't know i'm that's the facetious part of me thinking that maybe like if i have this dog it's like having a little cute little brother and going through the park and going go to that pretty girl and talk to her and then <laughs> Wingman dog. I I don't know. I guess look, I haven't stopped to I haven't stopped to ask these questions of the homeless. Um, I had a not great run in with one of them a few years ago, so I would have to say I'm avoiding them. Mm-hmm. But I I guess maybe it's just some of my empathy. But I guess I'm assuming it's companionship and protection. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. And it's it is because of the weather. I know that there's a lot of homeless folks because the weather's actually so normal there. You know, like especially in Canada. Because you've you've obviously been to Canada, you might have been around here in the winter time. It gets pretty cold, and it's a tough place to be. And uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when did you live out in New York? And what era? What era was that? Yeah, I I, I grew up in New York. Um, I was never really happy there, but I did grow up there, and I finally escaped uh, when I went to university in Boston. And finally got out of New York a bit. And then after university, I ended up getting sucked back into going home, home in air quotes, because I didn't enjoy it. And like I said, worked in the New York City music business for a few years. That would have been kind of the mid-90s. And then in 1995, started my little web design company. 
and uh, moved in with my super awesome grandma, who is uh, not with us anymore, but she was the coolest. Mm. And uh, I would work from home every day in my pajamas, and she'd be like, Debbie, don't you think you should put a little makeup on? <laughs> and I'd be like, Grandma, I, I work from home in my pajamas. I never see anybody. And she's like, well, you know, if you if you look better, you feel better. And I'm Whoa. like, uh, I, I feel fine in flannel pajamas. Maybe I should just get a matching hat. Um, but I had wonderful years with my grandma living with her and then um, escaped a few times and ended up getting pulled back, but made my final escape in uh, to early 2005 when I moved to Tucson, Arizona, which is, I consider my adopted hometown and uh, I love very much. I miss every day. It's uh, uh, certainly uh, Arizona is a red state, so I don't love uh, Arizona mm. for its politics, but Tucson is a fantastic place. I recommend people look into visiting. It's top in the country for spas and rehab centers. And, you know, <laughs> you may need one of those. Yeah, I like Phoenix. I, I've, I haven't been to Tucson as many times as I've been to Phoenix and Tulsa and Phoenix in that area. But uh Definitely, it's a definitely, you know, because it is uh, the weather and, and everything, I guess that'd be kind of a neat place to go uh, dry out. When I watch that show Intervention, that's where, they all, that's where all the good rehabs are. That's what I hear. Yeah, I, I think they're usually either in Palm Springs, California, they're which is also ones. the desert, yeah. or they're in Tucson, Arizona, uh, also the desert. Mm. Um, but I think it's because Tucson is a valley surrounded by five mountain ranges, so there's just a lot of natural beauty. Mm. And we've got something like 320 sunny days a year. Mm. Um, we don't get snow. And so there's just there's just such a natural warmth and brightness to the place that, that I, I found inspiring. And, and I've not needed rehab, as I like to say. I never mm. started, so I didn't have to stop. But <laughs> I, I still find it uh, a very beautiful and inspiring and motivating place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a neat, it's a neat area because... It is isolated enough to to basically stay a little bit away from where all like the hustle bustle. You know, I live in the country. I I like the country, um, but I I could see myself living. Uh, actually, you know, I could I could see myself living in Santa Cruz because that's my favorite. Oh, that's my favorite you're a Santa city. Cruz guy. I do. I have friends there, and you I haven't said right on yet. No. That's with all the you have to say right on. Well, I am Canadian. I'm not allowed to. I'm okay. only I'm only allowed like one a day, and I already said one this morning. That's I'm, okay. my quota's filled. Um, I say a boot a lot, but um, right. no, I love Santa Cruz because it's always seventy degrees. Like you go there, and it's like January fifteenth, seventy degrees. You know? um, maybe I just caught it on a good day, but uh, and I, no, I don't. It's, it's quite temperate there, and and up here in San Francisco, it's basically sixty-one every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 16 yeah. for you Canadians. <laughs> I don't do the conversion. I understand the Fahrenheit system because I grew up, and then they changed it to the Celsius system. But uh, Oh, I'm so sorry. In the middle of public school, which is very confusing. Um, but the, um, no, I love Santa Cruz because it just seems like it's, it reminds me of a small town um, that I, I kind of lived in for a little while. It, and even though it was like Winnipeg, remind me of Winnipeg and Santa Cruz people are like, what? How dare you? You know, but <laughs> we're unique. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's uh yeah, Santa Cruz is a college town. It's a surfer town. It's I think it's a huge marijuana town. Mm. It's a real chill town. Um, so I've heard a lot of nice things about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think because there's I don't know what it's like now, but I've been there in fifteen years, but they used there was like this little tiny road that got there. And it was like it wasn't like a major highway. 
And I think that sort of helps. Yeah, depending. I'll be actually. I'll be there on Sunday. Oh I'll, yeah. I'll take some pictures for you. Um, yeah. There's me. There's basically two ways in. There's our our coastal highway, which is only I think like a two lanes each way. It's not a super major highway. But our famous Route One, our yeah. Highway One. Um, and then there's a uh, Highway 17, which comes down from San Jose, mm-hmm. and that's like super curvy, super yeah. curvy, super curvy. I don't know if you remember the super curvy road. Oh yeah, definitely. Seen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was the one where I got picked up at the airport in San Francisco and driven into Santa Cruz. As I was working for a band that way, and uh, and I was like, wow, this is uh, this is pretty uh, pretty. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the mountains here. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you pretty much are. That's the Santa Cruz Mountains, and, yeah. and uh, I hear a beautiful place to live. Yeah. So I'd still pick Tucson, but uh, yeah, people love Santa Cruz. It's it's a real thing. There, there's I actually have a coworker, and I work in San Francisco, and he lives in Santa Cruz and works from home. So you actually do get some real Santa Cruz diehards who find ways to work remotely for companies that are not nearby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my dream. My dream is to just work from my basement one day where i to save the amount of traveling that i do it would would be would be probably even if i could ride my bicycle to work and i've I've even said if i could ride a bicycle to walmart and work at walmart (laughs) that's probably better it's better i take it yeah it's better than driving right now i drive 40 minutes to work but i used to drive an hour and 25 minutes before that and it sucked it sucked the life out of me my car too Mm. did not enjoy it so I, I think working from home is something that it sounds like something that you, you, you do in a way and you've done for so many years. I did it from 1995 until 2012. Mm-hmm. And basically uh, I'd moved to San Francisco at the tail end of 2010. And, and the main reason I moved here was to really boost my UX career mm-hmm. and kind of transition from web designer, whatever that meant, to UX chick, which mm-hmm. is not an official title. Um, but uh, And then it was like, okay, I'm going to have to get my butt out of my house or apartment, and I'm going to have to go to an actual company and get a job. And at first, the recruiters in town were like, you're nobody. Why don't you have Google and Apple on your resume? You're nobody. And I was like, F you, I'm going to get there. And some recruiter one day called me out of the blue and she goes, I I have a terrible job and I'm hoping you'll take it. And I'm like, I don't know. I might. I mean, she didn't call it terrible, but you could tell she was having trouble finding someone to put in this job. And she she goes, it's a three month job with absolutely no hope of being extended. So you're going to work there three months and then you're going to be gone. And I can't get anyone who's willing to do that. And I was like, well, you know, who's it for? And she goes, Sony. Mm. And I was like, Oh, um, that would immediately make me not nobody. Uh, I was like, I'll take it. Yeah. And once I took it, once I had Sony on my resume, again, as a UX person, um, the phone rang off the hook mm-hmm. and, and I just needed that stepping stone, even though I went into debt working those three months. But it, it so I, I have not been working from home since about, 2012 and i miss that too i really do think i'm more productive here in my camo pants and my duran duran dance party (laughs) well the i mean the sacrifice you put into doing what you did what you just explained there is kind of what musicians do all the time anyways i mean a lot of people do that they starve for their art and then it pays off sometimes and sometimes it doesn't and when it doesn't it's not like a big surprise you know like you know you, you, it's a gamble. Yeah. It's always the gamble. And and I couldn't have known 
when I was ever going to pay off the debt or when it was ever going to turn around and took a little bit of time. The next job paid a little more, but it was with a big famous American bank. And so it was like, now I had these two names on my resume and then everything's really exploded since then. And I was able to boost my rate. And so I I usually do recommend to people when I'm mentoring is like, yeah, it's okay to kiss some frogs Mm -hmm. on the way up. uh, As long as you have some sort of plan, if you seem to just keep kissing frogs and, and not be, moving up and improving. And I, I usually think bands have to have that somewhere in their minds as well. The the harsh, unfortunate reality of um, what if this doesn't happen? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, how long can we do this if it if it doesn't seem to be going anywhere? Yeah. The, the, the tricky part is, is that when you stop, what's the chances? You're obviously completely cut off the reason for possible success. So it's right. you chase a blind hallway you go run down that dark hallway and go well i think i'm going to find something you know and it's the amount of years you do it which it ends up becoming more comfortable with the fact that something will happen something will happen you know what i mean like i've worked in music business like the business of music for 26 years and i'm not afraid anymore like i was 20 years ago going oh i gotta pay for this stuff i have to you know i have to live i have to eat you know that seemed to go away after 20 years of, of doing it. So, I mean, it's the same thing, I think, in your field where you 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 look at realistically going, well, something's going to happen, you know, like it's not just going to dry up, you know, and, and especially with technology because everything is now becoming like, you know, my mom's got an iPad now and my dad has an iPhone. My dad, I never thought my dad would ever get a cell phone. And he has a, it, right. granted, no SIM card, no SIM card, but he has an iPhone. <laughs> So it's just like Wi-Fi only. He's yeah. just using it like an iPod. Mm-hmm. But he gets the he can FaceTime with it. You know, like he can do things right. like like that. I never thought people. You know, so as everybody gets older, everybody needs something to become easier to use, and that seems to be a big wide open gap. You know, that's for you. You know, to to sort of yeah, get in there. That's, yeah, and it, I mean, it's at the point now where there's university degrees and there's trade schools and so ux is really a thing people can go to school for it they can get a degree in it personally being kind of an old school person i feel like if you don't have natural talent in ux all the schooling you get is just going to teach you technique or software but it just may be something you're not great at Mm -hmm. but um But anybody, you know, all you listeners out there, if you're looking for a new career, UX could be for you. If you uh, go somewhere and you hate the way stuff's organized, you feel like you could organize it better and uh, stuff like that. That's usually how people start to get the idea. Uh, The place I'm working now is uh, I'm a contractor at uh, a famous American chain of department stores, similar to your Hudson Bay. Um, I don't work in the store. I work in the dot com Uh, corporate offices and many of the people on the UX team are former fashion designers Hmm. and people who worked in retail and just hated the way the system worked and went to a UX trade school, got a certificate, got a job, and now they're redefining how the systems work. Wow, I think I've found my new calling. (laughs) There you go! Never too late to start again. You're hired. Thank you. Go to the school. (laughs) I um, I was going to say something, but I do... I do understand that, you know, it takes sort of like a, you know, drive to find something to do, but although there's a little bit of luck involved too, you know, like, you know, like, and, 
and oh, I I know my my point was is that either if you you could be working in a in a in a service station changing oils and oil in cars, you can be really good at that, but not really good at you know the other stuff like communicating with people and things like that. So, so you can be really good at computers and things, but to to be able to describe the experience is something that becomes very. That's where the person comes into it, you know, the artist, you know. Yeah, I find that when I mentor the juniors, I find the biggest trouble juniors have is, and again, you, you're not as familiar with UX, but the biggest things that I think they get wrong is they don't fight hard enough. Because usually we have other teams who come in and go, no, we think it should be like this. And programmers will go, we don't want to build that, or we don't have time to build that. Mm -hmm. or, and someone else goes, I don't want to pay for that. And, and you're, there's always people you're fighting. And I think the mistake I see the juniors making the most is they don't push some of these battles harder. And then sometimes I see what we're designing and I go, holy poop on a stick. Our, our customers are going to hate that. Why didn't you fight harder for that? And they'll go like, mm -hmm. I didn't know how much to fight that. Yeah. I think as a programmer too, when someone says, I want it to do, I want a, I want a, a unicorn to jump across the screen and I want it to sort of kick its feet out as it's jumping through. And the programmer's going, what? It's a horrible yeah. example of something that might take hours and hours and hours to code or to figure out to someone else going, why the hell is the unicorn jumping across the screen? Like, what's going on there? Because there is a simple approach to all of this, you know, and there's a reason why Johnny Ives, who was the sort of the designer of Apple, became the user interface guy, you know. The actual, the original user interface gurus are the guys who defined the Apple interface in the 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, your Dons and your Brunos and your uh, all these other guys. There's a clump of guys from the 90s who defined the early Apple systems then because mm -hmm. they were so much geared towards being easy to use, whereas Microsoft and digital and stuff at the time were looking at, well, just, you know, make this utilitarian. Mm -hmm. And um, now I happen to be a Windows and Android person now, but at the time I was an Apple and Mac person. And there was certainly a huge difference in, in those experiences. And it, it's changed. Yeah. But um, but if you ever want to read something really interesting, um, some of those old Apple guys wrote an article, I think it was for Fast Company, but I don't remember. And they wrote it a few years ago and they basically said, um, Apple is killing their own UX. Apple is um, trying to make things so pretty that they're not as easy to use as they used to be and as they should be. Mm -hmm. And Apple is, their suggestion as former Apple guys and UX gurus is you still have to focus on making this easy to learn and easy to use. And they had all these very specific examples of from iTunes to iPhones. They really cut in and wrote this very long article about how, you know, sorry, but these things aren't as easy to use anymore. And, and before I bore everyone, that one key example they gave was, you know, you're going in the wrong direction when someone is having trouble using something and they blame themselves. Mm. And you'll find that with iPhone and Apple users, like if something is really wacky about the system, they'll go, oh, I must be bad at this, or I'm kind of dumb, or gee, I'm just not getting this today, or ooh, fat fingers. And the reality is that what they should say is, I'm an awesome human being, and this was built for me, and I'm having trouble with it. This was probably not designed as well as it could be. Yeah, no, so I'll, I'll give you that. Enough. 
<laughs> I'll give you that. I I did also when I when my daughter was like one years old and I put the iPad in front of her. She ultimately knew how to use it. So if there's anything that's um, designed for the masses that a one year old can kind of like figure out how to use it with their finger, it's like, I mean that's magic stuff. I'm especially for someone like yourself that's like, wow, that's that became so much like everybody has a touch device now, you know. And I remember when the iPhone first came out, and the, then people were like, "What? What? What is this all about? What's going on? Why do I want this?" And then turns out everybody wanted it. You need this. Everybody, yeah. right? And then, then other companies came on board and tried to do it. And I truly think, you know, and and you'll probably agree with me, but I think Android has kind of taken over with the interface and the and and the simplicity and the and the. One thing Android didn't have is because they had so many, it was almost like the Microsoft problem is that there were so many different screen sizes. There were so many different um, processors all trying to run an Android system that there was obviously problems, you know, in the early 10 yeah, years I ago. Think, you know, yes and no. I mean, to me, I thought the Achilles heel of Android was that there were some companies that were making really low end crap devices mm -hmm. because they could get a copy of Android, they could chuck it on the worst made phone in the planet. Maybe that was happening more in other countries than in America, but mm -hmm. certainly in America, you know, you could go over to your mobile carrier and you could get the $49 Android phone. And that seemed like a great choice over the $700 iPhone. But the problem was it was a very low quality thing. Mm -hmm. And the problem was that nobody took a look at their phone and said, ooh, this phone's a piece of crap. I should probably get one of those nice Samsungs. Instead, people said, Android is crap. Yeah. And the reality was that Android wasn't crap, but they had definitely bought a device. It'd be like buying the cheapest, crappiest car ever made and deciding all cars are crap. Yeah. So I think Android suffered a little bit from some tough PR and in some cases still does because people's first Android device was that $29 uh, Android phone, you know, while they were buying a $29 phone, I was buying a $700 Android phone and I was thrilled to pieces. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, Android sucks. And I'd be like, well, you bought the worst phone on the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do you think about the, the company that designs the software and hardware, like an Apple or even a Google Pixel or something like that? Like they kind of designed their own user interface and Apple obviously did too. And have sort of hold, held the flag on you know, using where Microsoft in in like 20 years ago had the problems because you needed like my biggest Microsoft problem was is when I had Windows 98. I went, to, I got my brand new Windows 98, and I went to go use it, but I wanted to go on the internet, but I didn't have the driver. But where was the driver? Oh. Drivers on the yeah. internet, you know. So that's a problem, you know, and that's a problem. And I wasn't saying, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm like, this is stupid, you know. And then literally right. two years right. later, I'm all over Apple. Yeah, you're Right. And, you know, it's uh, uh, it's I, I tend to have a different perspective than other people because, look, I'm in Silicon Valley. I'm in a creative field. So everybody's got their iPhones and I'm usually the only person with an Android phone. Mm -hmm. But if I can ever sit people down and show them some of the things I can do with my Android phone, sometimes even like a devout Apple person will be like, why isn't Apple doing that? Mm -hmm. Why isn't Apple doing that? Why isn't Apple doing that? And my usual answer is. Well, don't worry. Apple will do it in two or three years yeah. and they will tell you they invented it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I can do this now. Mm -hmm. And um, I so I think that um, 
The thing that I've been watching that, that I like to predict is I believe the two systems are converging. They're becoming more and more alike. Um, but I see that as mostly a product of Apple taking pages from Android because I can't think of too many things that Android is uh, second, uh, second to market with. Um, so, you know, like for example, everyone's going, Ooh, Apple removed the home button when they made the new iPhone. And I'm thinking, well, the Google Nexus ha has had a software based button for five years or whatever it's been. Mm -hmm. Why are we acting like nobody's ever had a, a lack of hardware button before? So I think people have short memories. Mm -hmm. Um, they believe too many blog posts and they kind of forget that there's a lot of stuff that Android's been doing, um, for years, but you probably don't want to get me started on this topic. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all, all about this topic. There. I'm all about this topic. My topic, my point is now, listen, I've been using Apple since two, 19, 2000, since 2000. And the reason I used it is because no Windows machine could run this program back here called Pro Tools. And, yeah. and, and even, I don't know what it's like today, and it's, it's the same thing. My, my butt's been bit a few times when I thought, Oh, I'll just throw Windows 7 on here and I'll load Pro Tools and I'll and I'll do this thing and all of a sudden I don't have the right this or that and it's like god damn I just need to record this stuff. And I think Apple simplifies how the thinking is and I don't you know and it's not the user interface, you know, it's got nothing to it's it's how it gets from A to B. And and I what I did learn I have to say I don't totally agree, but go ahead. <laughs> what I did learn is that when Pro, this is Pro Tools specifically, what I learned yeah. with Pro Tools is that when they coded it, they coded it once and they coded it for Apple. So when you go to a Windows machine, it's actually ported to think like a Mac. And yeah, so that's yeah, and I deal with that in my industry because, like, for example, it's my job at work to check all of our competitors' Android apps and see mm -hmm. what they're up to. And very often, I'm looking at what I'm sure is an iPhone app that just got released in an Android shell or released for Android. I can tell it wasn't built for Android. Um, so we, we deal with that as well. I mean, now as for ease of use of stuff, when I want to run my home recording studio, I know people aren't looking at me and that's fine because mm -hmm. I'm not looking my best today. Mm -hmm. But when I want to plug in my home recording studio, I have it all tied down to one USB cable and I'm on Windows. I plug that into my Windows machine that fires up the Focusrite Scarlet and all my other stuff, which is behind me in a vocal booth I'm pointing to that mm -hmm. only you can see because you're made of magic. That's what it is. And that is my that is my homemade vo vocal booth. Yeah, um, it is not a time machine. No, and I know I'm so sorry. Um, so, uh, so, uh, and now I'm running Adobe Audition, which mm -hmm. I just think is fantastic. It makes me so happy. So, uh, I love Adobe Audition. I've tried lots of other ones last year or the year before I was playing with reason essentials mm. and some of these other guys and I've seen logic on the back. Um, now I went to sound engineering school in the early nineties. And so I can cut tape with a razor blade, but we don't have to do that anymore. Um, but at least when I see something like Adobe Audition, it quickly makes sense to me. Um, whereas to other people like our art school artists freak out over Axure. Plenty of people are freaking out over uh, some of these pieces of software. But I find it is very easy and it can be very plug and play. But also Windows has come a long way since Windows 98. I would not try to tell you that Windows 98 was superior than Apple 7 point whatever was yeah, out at yeah, the time. Yeah. 
So it was Windows 98 was tough. I remember when I had my first Windows machine built, I was coming from Mac and I had them put a SCSI board in it so that I could use all my old Mac SCSI peripherals. Who remembers SCSI? Hands mm-hmm. up, anyone? Okay, <laughs> you're nodding. Don't bend the pins. You're, you're nodding, so uh, I'm going to go with yes on that one. And, and so my early Windows computers I had built to use all my Mac scanners and my Mac Bernoulli drives and all these things that I ha- had left over that are in a box somewhere. Yeah, well, I, uh, I like mine's a little bit more complicated because I have to sometimes record up to 40 tracks at the same time. Uh, I have a whole bunch of things that all have to run together. So for me to do the big jump, it'd be cheaper. Like I actually have what's called a Hackintosh over in this rack. I don't know if I can, and it's a PC that thinks like a Mac, you know, and it, and it, and it works pretty good until you try to update it and then it sucks yeah. and then it sucks. And now, right now it's in its suck form. Like, so I'm like, so this whole, this whole laptop, it's been used, I've been using it to record 40 tracks at a time, you know, so it gets a little, like I said, sometimes I have to network computers together to get a, the amount of stuff I need it to do. And so for me, it's just ease of use. Um, and I do agree that the, the OS, especially the actual Mac OS has gotten way too fat and it's just way too much stuff. Like when they started bo- doing Twitter integration and Facebook integration, I'm like, what? Why are you doing that? I can go on Facebook. I don't need to have my notifications and this isn't important to me. And I'm sure I I know I know I can switch them off, but I also know it's taking up that 50 megabytes of space that's so precious now, you know, and yeah, you know, but yeah, I I hear you there. Yeah. So I, you know, so, so when you, what are you, so are you do voiceover work? Are you a singer? Do you, what's both. Um, I am a singer and I have been trying to get into voiceover work. Um, I went to voiceover school last year, so always challenging myself to do mm-hmm. something new. And um, so uh, that is something I'm hoping to get into. But I have so many other things I'm juggling right now that I cannot put that on the front burner. Uh, so I am not pushing the voiceover work too hard, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly available for that. Um <laughs> I would like to read your emotionless corporate video, mm. um, but uh, yes, I, I th- actually I think that's a good match for me. Medical, corporate um, yeah. stuff. Thank you for purchasing your new defibrillator. When operating, make sure that you don't touch the. You know, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Don't don't cross the streams. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good one for me because I like the low emotional stuff. I guess it's just a match to me. I don't. I don't want to be like on my demo. They had me read these commercials as if I'm somebody's mom, and you know, I've previously mentioned I'm on the No Kids Plan, and and it's like that's where the acting comes into voice acting because mm. I have to be like. I mark my kids' heights on the door. I can't wait for them to come home and play with me. It's oh such a great house here. And you know, have to do do that. And it's almost like radio pulling. Like I have to you, you really have to act. And mm. but I know that what whenever they whenever I would do that at the voice school, they'd be like, Oh, you're so fake. And I'd yeah. be like, I know I can't do it. Yeah. But like we had one, we had to read at voiceover school and it was infomercial style. You know, our American infomercials are pretty aggressive. And so we were allowed to be a little aggressive and cheesy with it. And the script was something like, um, do you remember the story of Noah and all of his animals? Of course you do, because it's one of the greatest stories of all time. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and then it was going to sell you a bunch of 
like Bible CDs with activities for kids. <sighs> and so it was this whole like, and there was a girl in class who sounded like Daria and she was like, do you remember the story of Noah? And, <laughs> and, and the teacher goes, I hear disdain. <laughs> like, yeah. And then she's like, well, I don't think I can read this crap. And I was like, I'm atheist. If I can read this crap, you can too. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's like it's true. You have to take a little bit out of there the uh, whatever your beliefs are, you know. And that, I don't know if there be any other sort of like I mean, like I don't know. It's it's an interesting. I never even thought about voiceover. But I've done a few. I did one when Virgin Mobile first came to Canada. We did right. all their um, when they had them in the radio shacks. All of the mm-hmm. recording. I did all the recording, both French and English, with the voice actor. And it was like a week of work. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool because it was like just her talking about how to operate Virgin mobile phones. <laughs> like it was like almost, when was that? I can't remember, but it was a long time ago. Um, yes. Well, I, you know, I, uh, this went from talking about Crowded House and being fans yeah, of Crowded House sorry. to... sorry. Do you want to get back to something your listeners actually want to hear about? I, you know what? I don't care what my... I don't know. I really... This <laughs> is... I, I'm, yeah. See, that's good. That's good podcasting is that you do it for you, man. I do it for yeah, exactly. me. Right on. <laughs> I... Well, I, Hold on. I have to put on my bandana. Yeah, man. Surf's up in various other surf cliches and whatnot. Oh but um, no, I it's it's I like speaking to people, so that's why I kind of do the podcast. I you know, qualify. You qualify. You're a good talker. Um, I'm people. You're people. You're good people. And Thank we didn't you. mention the orange face monster. We didn't mention him. That was pretty good. Uh, who? Who? The orange. Oh yeah, let's yeah, not. Yeah. I was gonna say that's not what I call him, but okay. No, yeah. I, I, he's like yeah, Opa Loompa man. Uh, so I mean, I call that a win because I did have one with a. With a, uh, with um, a guy named Kevin Lyman from the uh, Warp Tour, he was he's the creator of the Warp Tour, and and the guy had just been elected in, and it was the whole podcast was just about how upset he was. And was so bad. Yeah, and you know, I'm I would have to say I'm not doing fantastically, well, um, but come it's up not to Canada. A topic I really want to cover. Come on up, come on up. We'll let you in. We'll let you. I, I consider, to be honest, I considered that. But um, given what's been going on at our border lately, where Americans are having a hard time coming back in, mm. I thought it wouldn't make sense to be the corporate trainer that lives in Canada and has trouble getting into America. Yeah, I get your point. I get your point. I guess. I know I'm all practical like that. Yeah, I get it. But <laughs> I'm all friend- looking at the future and possible <laughs> outcomes. What's up with that? Yeah, you know, if you leave, you just leave once, right? That's you know, just worry about it that. Seems- that's what they're hoping and and so my concern was you know i do get the montreal was the first time i got hired to train in canada and it was fantastic fun so many sweet people there really making some nice stuff for the cbc in french um but i do a lot of training and travel around uh america and i just could not imagine leaving for out of political fear or whatever you want Mm. to call it and then still having to fly back here two or three times a month and explain that to our ever more bizarre border people. Yeah. Well, they're, it's not like they were really fun to talk to even 10 years ago. So, uh, yeah, right. Exactly. It's never, it's never the greatest experience. And, uh, and, and certainly I just wouldn't, it's, it's one of those places where you really don't want to draw attention to yourself. Yeah, it's like, definitely. how bland and uninteresting can I be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I had a friend who got banned for life because he had a laptop and he was going down to record a record for like, he has recorded like 
Metallica records and things like, and he had all these invoices on his computer, and that was it. Blacklisted, never goes to America now. His whole Is that because he didn't have the right work permit. Didn't have the right work permit. He was permits. going in for work. He was going in for work, and it's his own fault because he probably thought he could yeah. just sneak in and out. But the right. uh, yeah, just to get yeah. work papers. You know, that's why a lot of Canadian musicians actually didn't really go down there much is that it costs like a lot of money to get your work papers to not make any money. You know, yeah. this conversation has come up many times on this show, but when you go to Europe, you just take your instrument and you walk across get and you, hello, yeah. hello, welcome to our country. We know you're going to lose money. You know, you're not Bon Jovi, so we're not worried about you, you know? So, right, and if you're nice, we'll give you a a sandwich with a slice of salami, mm-hmm. cucumber, and half a cherry tomato. And I'll live with you all day, because you'll smell like salami and bad cheese. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's true. Uh, and, you know, we have the reverse problem here, because when I used to work in the touring business as a tour manager, um, we had to really check out the people on our side of the border, because Canadians, typ- Canada typically won't let people in with drug offenses, drug yeah. convictions. And so I, I did one tour where everyone swore that they could get into Canada. Wouldn't you know, we're about to drive the tour bus into Canada and the bus driver has to admit he is not allowed in Canada. Our bus driver can't oh get gosh. into Canada. That threw off the tour. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> wow. It did. We had to get like 10 people on an airplane just to get into Canada and then back out. So yeah. that was not yeah. cool. Don't lie to your tour manager. No, that's true. That's just funny. That's what I do too. I've do, I've been doing that. I've did that. Well, not as much anymore. No, I work in a theater doing sound, but I was a tour manager for many years touring with bands, some on bigger labels, some on smaller, but it was uh, before kids. It was before, you know, my life kind of, became more important where I didn't have to be on tour the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I miss touring, but I think I'm going to stick to the 8 million things I'm doing now. My 27 UX careers, my corporate training, my hopeful eventual voice work. Who knows? Well, you got the vocal booth. You got it right back there. The vocal booth. You should have done it inside I mean, the booth. My- I, uh, oh, you want to see inside the no, booth? No, no, you should have done it inside the booth and bring the curtain down and they would have been like, some sort of uh, intrigue, like who is that person in the in the vocal booth? I well, I actually put a webcam in there, so you would have seen me. But but um, but yeah, I got an what did I get? An Audio Technica forty forty, mm-hmm. and I've got my studio headphones, and uh, I've got a Bluetooth keyboard, and I've got my Focusrite, and then I've got an external. Um, I could turn on the light in there and show you. But anyway, people mm-hmm. now people really bored. Yeah. Like, oh no, she's showing stuff. We need the visual <laughs> description thing from the AMI channel. She's pointing. Debbie is pointing. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie is pointing to studio headphones. That's right. So, <laughs> well, I'm so excited because I learned how to over. put two screens onto my computer. I have three screens. Really? Yeah, yeah. I see them. Yeah. That's one computer. So bam. <laughs> With three different screens. Also good that's also good podcasting right there. Um, that's true. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Well, see, he, what they don't know is you and I are on video cameras with each other, even yeah. though they don't get to see these cameras later. Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate you talking to me, Debbie. Um, sure. I, I, uh, yeah, it's, it sounds like you, you, you got it. You, you know, you started off as a fan, and you've been working in music your whole life, and and here you are doing other things, and you know, and that's that's kind of what the show's about. I'm still a fan. Well, uh, thanks for doing the show. I'm going to hit stop. Thanks, everybody. That was Debbie Levitt, everybody. That was fun, right? Nice, fun, long chat talking about 
computers. Talking about the music biz. I gotta let you know, I cranked my back yesterday, and I have been in bed in pain. I got out of bed to do this episode, people. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm not on painkillers. I, I can't do painkillers, but I'm on muscle relaxants. I'm gonna drink a coffee and go back to bed as soon as this is done. So, thanks for doing the episode, Debbie. You're a star. This episode, thank you for for, for going to uh, my right to conquer cancer pledge. Thanks for pledging on that. Whoever's pledged on it, I appreciate that. I'm up to nine percent. I gotta come up with twenty five hundred bucks. If I don't, I'm on the hook for it. How about that? There's a, there's a guilt trip. Um, don't forget to go to audibletrial.com slash applelog to get a 30-day free trial and free download. Don't forget to go to applelog.ca slash Amazon to shop on Amazon and to support the show in the meantime. Don't forget, if you're from the United States, some of you might be, go to applelog.ca and click on the Amazon banner on the right side. That'll be helping the show out. Oh, my back. My back hurts. Wham! It's a problem when you're getting old is that stuff starts hurting. And this started because I was working a show and the lady said, can you put the trailer back on my car because I need to put the trailer... And of course, me like a schlep went out there and put the friggin' trailer on the car and I hurt my back. That's... What do you think about that? Huh. Oh, man. I'm... I gotta get this done. So, anyways, next week, I'm, I got a few guests lined up but they haven't been interviewed yet. I got actually this group called Infinis and I met them... Infinitus, Infinis, Infinis, that's what they're called. They're a three-piece uh, classical group that plays modern songs. They're kind of like this guitar guys group I had like a, two years ago. But they're awesome too. Like, it's just cool. It's a cool genre of music up there. Um, next week, yeah, that'll probably be them. Uh, if not, it'll be some other people. I got some other people on the line. I'm Joe Caravello. He's he's going to be doing something. He's a mixing mastering bureau down in Toronto. This is a secret. And uh, so anyways, we'll see you next week. Okay, everybody? Thanks for listening to the show. Thank you.